Again, it's great. Uh, please be seated. Again, it's great to have Reverend Casey Kramer with us to bring us God's word. Um, Casey, please come up. Thanks, man. Well, good morning. The scripture reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. So if you would join me there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells with us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for we know that through this word, your spirit brings life. We ask now that you would speak your truth to us and that we would be forever changed by your gospel. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Well, if you knew you were about to die, what would you tell your child? In the movie My Life, Bob and Gail Ivanovich, played by Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman, they're pregnant with their first child, a son. And Bob is horrified few days later to learn that he's got a terminal form of kidney cancer and he would not see the birth of his own child. Yet he wants his son to know the priorities of life. So this is what he does. He makes himself immortal by making video messages for his son. Now, kids, I want you to hear this. He did something. This is the 90s when this movie took place. So he used something called VHS tapes, okay, which stands for Video Home Systems, where these huge boxes you'd put on your shoulder and you'd walk around. They didn't have cell phones back then, and so they had these huge boxes and they would record everything a child would do. What he wanted to do was to record himself talking about the most important aspects of life. So he taught his son through these VHS tapes about how to shave, how to make spaghetti, how to drive, and uh, how to be a man. See, Bob was struggling with the reality of the inevitable fact that he was dying soon and there was nothing else he could do. And so with the little time he had left, he instructed his son with the most important and purposeful words possible. We're entering into 2 Timothy, just jumping right in, and this is a letter from the Apostle Paul as he awaits his own death. And his last message from Paul, a dying father to his spiritual son, Timothy, whom he calls his beloved child, is something so important to him as well. Now, what was his message? 
I mean, of all the things in Scripture, what was the most important thing he wanted to leave his son with? And it was this. Guard the truth of the gospel. Prioritize the gospel. And so in this first century scenario, as persecution of the Roman emperor Nero ensued, there are these heretics all over that appeared and increased in power. And one commentator said of the, of the fact that the gospel was, uh, was threatened was this, that Christianity trembled, humanly speaking, because it was on the verge of annihilation. So the truth was the gospel was at risk. Now whether we are in a first century new Christian or a 21st century new Christian, Christ calls us to be the salt and light to the world. But if we're honest, right, there are times when some of the flavoring of our churches is not much different than the world. In fact, our words, our actions, our stances on things often are not salty at all, and there's really no difference compared to those outside of the church. That's because we're tempted, too, to relax our grip on the gospel and begin to drift away, as the rest of the world does as well. We're in danger of letting the gospel drop from our hands altogether. And so Paul is writing Timothy not to succumb to false teaching, not to fall short in times of suffering. Instead, his encouragement is this. Because the promises of the gospel are true, we must prioritize it in our lives. Now, how do we prioritize the gospel in our lives? Well, uh, I, I see three ways in this passage. First is to know the purpose of the gospel. Second is to know the power of the gospel. And thirdly is to follow the pattern of the gospel. So let's dive right into knowing the purpose of the gospel. And so often we hear the term gospel and, and um, churches talk about it all the time. Ministers talk about it all the time. But what does it actually mean, right? What is the true essence of the gospel? Well, gospel is an old English word. It means a good spell, which means good, a, a good word, a, a, um, a good news for us. But what is the good news? And the reality is the gospel gives us these amazing things. First, it's we are justified in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ and we are glorified in Christ. So let's not pass on those big churchy words. Let's talk about those. First, we are justified by Christ. God, by the work of Jesus Christ, pardons our sins and he accepts us as righteous in his sight. That We are good. We are in right standing with God, received by our faith. That's the beauty of being justified by Christ in his gospel. Secondly, we are sanctified by Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God progressively changes us into the image of his son where we are enabled more and more to say no to sin and to say yes to him. Now Philippians 2 says this beautifully. It says we're able to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We participate in becoming more holy through God's power. And thirdly, we are glorified by Christ. Christ in his second coming will ultimately make us in heaven fully like himself. New bodies, new world, no more sin. Hallelujah. How many people need to hear that today? No more sin. Oh, Lord have mercy. He glorifies himself through us. These are the building blocks of what makes the gospel so beautiful in our lives. Yet the reality is if, if we don't guard these truths, 
if we don't guard them properly, we can lose its essence. It becomes a major problem in our life. Or if we try to overemphasize an aspect, for example, if we focus on how Christ forgives us of our our sin, it becomes so egocentric, it becomes so much about me and what I get from God in my happiness, it becomes more of a transaction. Yet the reality is, is God's gospel is not transactional, it's transformational. It changes everything. Or if we focus merely on the process of sanctification, of living a holy life being more like Christ and just striving to do, 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 our, our WWJD bracelets often become, become so heavy because we forget the grace and the mercy of our Lord. Our hearts become hardened or we become so overwhelmed with our sin it becomes depressing to us and eventually we become apathetic. Or if we focus so much on the future life and glory, we forget of our call to what we are supposed to do today in this world. That we are called into God's mission. We are called to further his kingdom. We are called to build his church. We need to know the gospel and we need to know the promises of God. In fact, we need to know who God is himself. Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, man will trust in God no farther than he knows him. And I would add, humbly, know him and and his gospel promises. See, we can't lose our grip on the true, authentic gospel. I had a a buddy who was a a youth pastor in D.C., and he served uh, these kids of these high-up-elected officials. And so he would visit parents in the Pentagon who were generals, they were senators, they were FBI agents, and he tells me a story about uh, a conversation with a parent in the Secret Service. And this parent was in charge of Uh, finding counterfeit money. And so he tells about the training that this this Secret Service agent would give uh, to um, her agents to spot counterfeits. And it's interesting, this agent would not train the agents, uh, other agents below her to know how to make counterfeit money or what typical counterfeit currency looks like. No, she would train them to study what real authentic currency looks like. Study and memorize the intricacies of the true $100 bill, the true $50 bill. Understand it frontwards and backwards. Know what it feels like. Know what it looks like in the light. Because if the agents knew the true authentic currency, then it'd be easy to spot the fake stuff. And see, we as Christians need to know what the true authentic gospel looks like so when something else is presented to us, we can quickly say that on that. That's counterfeit. That's not true. When the world tries to sell us a softer gospel, we can say, no way, that's not right. Parents, you, you will one day let your kids off into the, the wild blue yonder and you have an opportunity to teach the authentic gospel now so that when they leave, they could spot a counterfeit as well and know where to go for true worship. See, we need to know the purpose and meaning of the gospel. We also need to know the purpose and the heart of the gospel, that God saves us by his grace. Look with me in verse eight, it says this, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us. We are saved by God, through the grace of Christ Jesus, 
Christ came into the world. He was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. He lived a perfect life and he died to pay the penalty of your sin. He died for all of your sin. Now you might say, well, Casey, you don't know me. You just showed up at 1030. You lived down the road. How, do you, how could God possibly save me from my sin? Do you know what I've done? And while I might not know you, God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your Friday night sins, and he knows your next Tuesday morning sins. The sins you committed on the way to church. And the kicker, while he knows them all, is that he still chose you. Ephesians 1 says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. See, the heart of the gospel is love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 1 Timothy, in the letter that Paul wrote to, to him before this one, says this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But Casey, my my sin is so great. Yes, it is true. It is so great. But it's not about what we do. I mean, look back in verse 9. It says this, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ. It's not our works. It's his. Richard Sibbs says this, we have this for a foundational truth, that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. His mercy is great. And it's so much more than any of our sins. And we're saved by the good news of the gospel of Christ. Well, then you might be saying, all right, well, Casey, well, how do I get some of this? <laughs> this is a pretty good deal. The reality is that it's by faith, by believing in the Lord. For all who call on the Lord will be saved. We're to call out to this Christ. And I ask you this morning, Do you believe in this? Do you believe in the gospel of grace? The meaning and the heart of these good news. See, God wants us to know the true purpose of the gospel. It's true meaning and it's heart so we can guard it. He also wants us to know the power of the gospel. See, the power of the gospel is not in Timothy's ability. Timothy was not some powerhouse preacher pastor of his day. He was young. He was in his mid-30s. He was sickly. He was prone to illness. In fact, Paul writes of his frequent ailments in his first letter. And it, it's, it, it shows us that Paul is timid. You know, he seems to shrink from difficult tasks. He, and he needed frequent encouragement by his, his father, Paul. Don't be scared. Don't be ashamed. I mean, Timothy was more of a leaner than a leader, right? I mean, would you choose Timothy to be your church planter? I mean, if I was picking a church planter, I would pick someone with gray hair, you know, a good-looking chap, maybe an Australian or a South African accent, just because they sound better, maybe Scottish with a drawl, skinny jeans, and all, all the things that, that make, it, make that person look the part. Yet God chose someone entirely different. He chose Timothy, a young, frail, scared young man, because Paul knew that God would use him in the kingdom. So where did this power come from that enabled Timothy to preach this good news? Well, this power, the gospel, comes from Christ. If we get, go back to verses 8 and 9, it says, To share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. 
So the power of God that he gave in Christ Jesus. I mean, the Great Commission, Jesus reminds us, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Did Christ leave us alone to fend for ourselves when he went to heaven? No, he gives us the power to bring salvation to others. That's why we, we, we read Romans 1. There's so much power in the gospel. And it's been there forever, ever since Genesis 3.15. The first time we hear the gospel echoes in the word of God. It's been there and the power is there as well. And how does he give us this power? How does Christ enable us with the power of the gospel? Well, it's through the work of the Spirit. See, Christ didn't make us powerful on our own. He didn't just go up to heaven and all of a sudden we get powers. You know, we're, we're superpower now, we're Superman or, or Wonder Woman. No, we are now more dependent on God and Christ than ever before. He said in Acts 1, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He entrusts power to us through the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And now what does this mean is that we have access to the power of God every day living inside us. And he describes this spirit in verse 7, just before the passage we read today. It says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power of love and self-control. Now, I first experienced this power uh, of love and self-control in my early 20s. I I grew up as a a nominal Catholic. I had real no relationship with with God. And my background was athletic, so after uh, college, I had the opportunity to play in the NFL. And I bounced around these teams as a fullback for... um, five years, and it was really nerve-wracking. I tried to deal with a lot of stress and anxiety by numbing them with performing or poor choices in my life. And I, had, I saw something different in a teammate of mine. I was playing with the Carolina Panthers at the time, and there was this man named John Casey who was the kicker. And now he, was, he was my hero. He had been the, the NFL for like 16 years at that time. And something was different about him. And so I asked him, I said, John, what's different about your life? Because you're kicking game-winning field goals and I'm having panic attacks in practice. You're so calm and collected. I'm a nervous wreck. What is about your life that is so different? And he started teaching me about the power and love of Christ. He said, Casey, you think you're you're anxious because you think you're in control. (laughs) And he brought me to the scriptures. I had never opened up the word of God before and he brought me to Philippians 4. Uh, verses 6 and 7, and it said this, Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And he said, Casey, listen to this next verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. See, John had showed me the priority and power of the gospel, that it was found in Christ. And so it was from then on I started feeling the power of God taking over my life. And I I prayed and said, Lord, if you're real, make yourself known to me. Because I was tired. I was just tired of trying to do things on my own strength. And because I had finally heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the Lord had moved me. So what are we to do with this, Casey? Well, if you have been saved by Christ's death, then the authority and power 
has been given to you by Christ. You have been given the Holy Spirit to live in you forever. And if that's the case, then we must, like Paul, endure suffering for its sake. We must guard the gospel with the true, authentic truth of this gospel. We must share this truth with others, no matter what the consequence is, or how weak and insufficient we feel in doing it. See, the gospel is a matter of life and death, and we must feel its urgency. Richard Baxter, a former pastor, hundreds of years ago says this, I preach as never sure to preach again, as a, and as a dying man to dying men. Do you feel this urgency to share the gospel to the next generation? See, my wife and I desire to plant a church in, in Springboro. It's this, it's this prime location, as I mentioned before. See, the city of Dayton has 800,000, and, and only 18% have faith, so that's about you know, 150,000. And there's 2.2 million people in Cincinnati. So that means 2.5 uh, people in um, Ohio, in the Cincinnati-Dayton area, if my math is correct, don't know the gospel. So what would it look like if we as a presbytery, we doubled those who know the gospel? We tripled that number. What if our, our presbytery started a movement where we started planting churches that then began planting more churches as it has done in the past, but will continue to do so? What if we share Christ in simple, effective, and loving ways in our living room, in our homes, on the street? What if our churches each planted a couple more, and those couple more planted another couple more, and soon those churches planted more? In the next 20 years, half of Dayton and Cincinnati would have a saving knowledge of Jesus and know the priority of the gospel. What would it look like in our city? in the lives of our children or the lives of our grandchildren to know that gospel? What would our our country look like? See, the gospel is infectious and its priority should be the, the only effective means to change Dayton is through this power of the gospel. You might say, well, Casey, I just, I just serve in the nursery. Or maybe I'm just a, I'm just a grandmother. Well, if you read earlier in, in this, this chapter, Timothy was saved. <laughs> he came to know God through his grandmother. Or you might say, I don't have any gifts. What, what could I do? Well, there was a young, immature, sickly, timid Timothy who started a church in Ephesus and was then stoned to death by a pagan mob preaching the gospel. See, God has given us the power of the gospel to share this good news. And so we must prioritize the gospel by knowing its purpose, knowing its power, and finally, we're to follow the pattern of the gospel. Look with me in verse 13. It says this, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we're supposed to follow that pattern of scripture in our lives. See, the gospel produces patterned people. They're people that are filled with truth. They're filled with humility. They are unashamed of the gospel. They have a deep sense of joy. They love others in both simple and also profound ways. They are praying people. They are trusting people. They are holy people with whom we live and from whom we learn. I bet you if you think real hard, you could, you could recall a patterned person in your life. 
you know, someone who really understands the gospel, who, who lives it out or had lived it out before you, before your eyes. Could you name them? Could you say a name out loud right now? If, if, if you had thought about it enough, do you think you'd be able to recall someone? See, mine was George. George was a, a listener. He was a, he was a man who endured great suffering in his family. He was selfless with his time. He taught me about Christ and he shared with me the truth of this gospel. Who is it for you? I encourage you to think about it later today. Think about it and talk about it with somebody. If that person is still around, I encourage you to call that person and let them know what happened in your life because of their words. See, gospel pattern people, they speak differently. Gospel pattern people, they give differently. And gospel pattern people, they live differently because they see the original pattern of the gospel lived out. And where did this original pattern originate? Well, in Jesus, the most holy, the most loving, the most enduring of suffering, the most self-giving person ever to walk this earth. See, Jesus shows us and teaches us and reminds us of what a holy life looks like. I mean, he turned a murderous, self-persecuting, or a murderous, self-righteous, persecuting, hate-filled man named Paul into a loving, humble, self-giving man who went from a life-taker to a life-giver and wrote this letter to Timothy. And if Jesus can change Paul, then surely he can change you. He can, he can change me. And so I ask you this question, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this gospel? And do you believe that this gospel can affect Dayton, Cincinnati, Ohio, this world? See, we need a constant reminder that the death and the resurrection of Jesus justifies us, sanctify us, and will soon ultimately glorify us in eternity with him. And that, that power comes not from our own ability or efforts, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our frail, frail, timid souls. And we are invited by God to share the gospel truths to others, to live out this pattern of the gospel that others too may believe. See, Bob Yovanovitch in the movie My Life was, was dying and he as a father left his message, his important message to his son that he would know the love of the Father. And Paul does the same thing in writing a message to Timothy in this letter his, to his spiritual son, Timothy, that he would know the love of his spiritual father. And our Heavenly Father has a message for us. And it's not in a letter, it's in his son, Jesus, and the death of his son, and the truth of the gospel. So let's take this message and let's tell others about it. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are always needing your encouragement through your gospel, its power and its truth and the love and the mercy and grace you give us. And so I ask, Father, would you bring this power to become a reality in our lives? Would you help us to see it, to not only acknowledge it, to feel it, but then to use it for your glory, that we may build your church, that we may encourage others in the kingdom of God, and we may see your glory come. We thank you, Jesus, for this truth and all that you are for us. In Christ's name, amen.